0: And just like that, we went from three to five. All right. So, today's passage, I'm going to jump right into it. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we are in chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, the first book in the New Testament, first Gospel. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It's the event that's known as the triumphal entry. It might sound familiar. Because two months ago, before Easter Sunday, we talked about it, right? The week before Easter Sunday. And we looked at the passage in Luke about Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. But now, as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, we get to that event. Jesus rides in triumph into Jerusalem as king. So let's read about it. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. You can see the slides behind me for that. Here's what it says. Here's what the Word of God says. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, what is your earliest memory? It's one of my favorite questions. Some people can go all the way back to, I've heard up to two years old. That's the earliest I've ever heard. They'd say, when I was two, da-da-da. And I'm really impressed by that. I can't go back nearly that far. What's your earliest memory? I don't know my earliest one, but I know that one of my earliest memories was when my parents, would put my siblings and I to sleep, especially my younger sister and I, we were the youngest. And I remember the songs they would sing, some of the books they would read, some of the passages they would read to us in the Bible and tell us stories, Bible stories. And I remember them singing to us to sleep, which first of all, I hope that's encouraging for our parents here. It is Father's Day, happy Father's Day, everybody. Um, It matters, it matters those efforts we put into our our children and those things are, are memorable. And so one of my earliest memories, my parents, singing songs to my sister and I as we go to sleep at night. One of the songs, the most memorable one for me, that my dad used to sing, Happy Father's Day, Dad, um, is called The King is Coming. You guys heard that one? I looked it up. Apparently, it's from the Gaither Vocal Band. Now, some of you might say, I can already picture Dennis coming up to me after and saying, "Actually." They took that song from somebody else and redid it. Maybe that's true. But when I looked it up very briefly, it said Gaither Vocal Band, and the song is called The King is Coming. Have you guys heard of that song before? Love that song. (laughs) So, I've practiced this message a couple times, and the first time I practiced it, I actually sang the end lyrics to it, and I said, I'm not, you know, some pastors, whether they have a bad voice or not, they're just so comfortable, and they can just break out into a hymn or something, and everyone's like, oh, that's great. I just don't know if I'm there yet. Um, But I'm feeling a little bit of encouragement from you guys, so why not just do it? All right. All right, this is for you, Dad. So every night, he would, almost every night, he would sing this song, and I'm just going to sing the very last part of the song. Maybe it'll, you'll recognize it. Okay, here's how it ends The King is coming. The King is coming. Praise God. He is coming for us. And my dad would sing that almost every night growing up. And I love that song. <laughs> Okay. So, the passage we just read is talking about the king arriving into Jerusalem. And I have a really simple main idea. Here it is. The king came and the king is coming. Think you can remember that one? The king came and, big and, the king is coming. So we're going to break that down into two points today, just two. It's really free, because I have an application for you, but two points. First, the king came, and we're going to talk about that. Secondly, the king is coming. So, number one, the king came. Now, before we remind you of those verses and his entrance into Jerusalem, I want to talk briefly about what the people expected in the coming king. Because the people, the Jewish people, are expecting the Messiah to come eventually. They've been waiting a long time. But they know, their, they know their Bibles, a lot of them. They know their Old Testament passages and scriptures that talk about the Messiah and what he's going to be like and what he's going to do. And let me tell you, the vast majority of them expected a warrior king. They expected a king to come that would squash all of their adversaries, and at that time, especially Rome, he's going to conquer Rome, he's going to defeat all his enemies, he's going to bring the kingdom of God on earth. They expected that. When some people called Jesus, son of David, they remember David as a warrior king that would fight for Israel. There was a song about him. Saul you know, killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands, right? David was a warrior that fought for Israel, and the Messiah would be a son of David who would rule, who would bring the kingdom of God on earth, who would defeat all of their enemies, and surely this is what the Messiah would do when he came. He would be a warrior king, and there's a bunch of passages that we could look at in the Old Testament that gives support of that idea, that when the Messiah came, he would fight for his people, he would bring the kingdom of God on earth. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Isaiah 61, Daniel 7, Psalm 2, and Zechariah chapter 9. Just some examples. I want to tell you some of the passages that were in their minds as they were celebrating, here comes the Messiah, this is him, this is what he's going to do. They would be thinking of Daniel chapter 7, for example that talks about the ancient of days, which we believe to be God the Father. And there was another divine figure in Daniel chapter 7 that was called Son of Man. Another divine figure that approached the, the ancient of days. And it said of the Son of Man, who we know to be Jesus, that he would arrive on earth from the clouds of heaven with an angelic army in power and glory and dominion, over all peoples, nations, and languages of the earth, that he would rule the world. This is what they're thinking. Another example, example. Psalm chapter 2, a messianic psalm. Here's what the Messiah is going to do and be like. I'm going to read to you a little bit of a lengthy passage from Psalm 2. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's a messianic psalm. This is what they're thinking of as Jesus arrives into Jerusalem. Here's one more Zechariah chapter 9. In verse 9, that we just heard Matthew quote, here comes your king, Jerusalem. He's humble, mounted on a donkey, arriving into Jerusalem. But the very next verse, verse 10, says he's going to rule from sea to sea. He's going to rule the world. Not just Jerusalem, the whole world. To the end of the earth. So, the people are shouting in excitement, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here he is, the warrior king. And they're excited. They say Hosanna. Hosanna is a two-part Hebrew word. Hosea and Na, Which means, save, please. <laughs> please, save us. Deliver us. Rescue us. Surely he's the one that's going to squash the Roman Empire, finally. If you know anything about Rome and how long it lasted and the people that they had under their dominion and and the the brute force that they placed on their citizens to keep them in line. Surely the Messiah is going to end that and defeat the enemies of God and and of God's kingdom and bring the kingdom of God on earth. Here he is. They thought the warrior king, the lion, had arrived. But they got the Lamb of God. They were expecting the lion, and they got the Lamb of God. Their expectations of his entrance and what shortly would happen afterward, their eager expectation. But here's what actually happened. Look again at verses 1 to 5, the actual entrance. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. Jesus arrives in humility on a donkey. Not just a donkey, on a baby donkey. That's what a colt, foal of a donkey means. Still smelled bad, but was smaller. (laughs) A baby donkey. And I have a picture here actually was given to me by some of the Wellman kids a couple months ago. This is the donkey that Jesus rode in in Jerusalem who carried the king. Jesus approaches Jerusalem on a baby donkey, and it was planned, not just in that moment, not just when he sent those disciples ahead of him and had these plans in order. It wasn't something that just came to his mind, hey, here's a good idea. It's something that was planned a very, very long time ago. Matthew quotes the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah lived over 500 years before Jesus is riding in Jerusalem on a donkey, And he's fulfilling this prophecy. If you've been paying attention as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, you see all these different predictions and promises about Jesus, and he keeps knocking them out one by one by one. Here he is, here he is, the Messiah, fulfilling those prophecies, the ones that he could have had zero control over, like where he was born, the prophet Micah, over 700 years before he was born, says, your king, the everlasting one, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. He's fulfilling all of these promises and prophecies about him. He arrives into Jerusalem, not just on a donkey, on a baby donkey. His gentleness, His humility. We've we've seen it. We've experienced it as we're going through this gospel. The way that Jesus interacts with people in humility, in gentleness. He teaches it. Back in Matthew 11, remember he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the king. Gentle, humble, peaceful, riding in on a donkey. When Jewish kings rode donkeys, it happened before. Solomon in 1 Kings 1, 1 Kings chapter 1, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey on his ordination day. It's a time of peace, not a time of war. Jesus arrives in humility, gentleness, in peace, on a donkey, into Jerusalem. This is how he enters. Now, I don't blame the people for wanting to see the power and the glory and the might of the Messiah. Do you? Remember when I asked you a couple months ago, if you had all the power in the world and you could do anything and you were in control of nature and everything, what kind of animal would you ride in to proclaim yourself as king? And I heard a bunch of things, dragons, dinosaurs, you know, specifically, I think it was a velociraptor, somebody said. You'd, you'd go in on something like that. You said that, Johnny? I can't blame them for, want, for wanting that. But here's the truth. Thank God, literally, thank God, that Jesus didn't arrive the first time in a truly triumphal entry. <laughs> to crush his enemies, and his adversaries, and to show the vengeance and the wrath of God against all who are opposed to him and his kingdom. Because guess how many people have been left standing? Nobody. Nobody. The Bible says we're all rebels to the king. We've all chosen our own way. We're all like sheep have gone astray. We've chosen something smaller, less significant than God to worship and to give our lives to. And if you really know yourself, you know that's true. Thank God he didn't come on a war horse the first time in triumph, in wrath against all that are opposed to him, against all the evil in this world, because we'd be in a lot of trouble. The first time he came, he came in gentleness, humility, peace, a chance for the world to submit to the true king. The king came. And the king is coming. The king is coming. All those passages that talk about the Messiah and how he would conquer and how he would bring the kingdom of God and how he would wipe out all evil and adversaries of the king and the kingdom, that is still going to take place. Are you listening? That's still coming. And listen, While the people in Jerusalem, while the massive crowd were waiting for the warrior king, you could say that they were waiting for the lion, but they left out the lamb. Can we make sure that as we're waiting for the lamb, we don't leave out the lion? (laughs) He's both the lion and the lamb. The picture that it gives us with his second coming We see the Lamb of God. The scars are still on his hands and his feet. He's still gentle and humble and the the love itself embodied. But there's fire in his eyes. And he's wrathful against all evil and all that is opposed to what is good. To the king and the kingdom. As we wait for the Lamb, let's not forget the lion. He's coming again. And he tells us that. A couple days later, when we get to Matthew chapter 23, in a little while, Jesus is going to say, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wait a minute. Did you hear what he just said? He said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Didn't they just say that as he was riding into Jerusalem? What's he saying? He's coming again. What will that second appearance look like? Do you know what he tells us? A little while later, you flip a little bit more to the right in your Bible, you get to Revelation chapter 19, and there is a beautiful, glorious, and terrifying picture of what the second coming of Christ looks like. And you know what? The more we understand the evil in this world, and the more that we're affected by it, the more we hate it like he does and the more we get excited about a king that doesn't ignore justice, that doesn't ignore evil, but is fully love and fully judge, and fully wrathful against those things at the same time. When he comes back, it's going to be beautiful, but man, if you're on the wrong side, it is going to be terrifying. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It's where it tells us about his second coming. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I'm going to read this to you. And I wish I could do it more emphatically because that's what it deserves. What actually is going to happen, I can't emphasize it enough, no matter how hard I try. I could roll around on the ground. I could scream it. I could stand on a box really up high. It won't matter. I can't emphasize this enough. Look what it says. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) When he comes back, it's not going to be on a cute baby donkey that smells bad. But on a war horse. Followed not by a crowd shouting maybe superficially, Lord save us from the front, and in front of him and behind him. Not by a crowd of people shouting, but followed by an angelic army. He still will be love itself embodied, but this time there's flames in his eyes. Against all rebels of his kingdom. There'll be a crown on his head, not of thorns like the first time. But a crown of diadems, he tells us. A robe dipped in blood, but this time it's not his own blood. It's the blood of the enemies of the kingdom. With words not of peace and a chance to submit, that time is now, but at this time, words that are a sharp sword. He will rule, it says, with a rod of iron that's going to be fulfilled. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. (sighs) Okay. His first coming already happened. The king came. The second coming is still to come in the future. So what should the question be? (laughs) What do we do now in the in-between? What do we do now? Well, There's a whole lot we could say about that. And in the next five days before he's crucified, as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, pay attention to what he tells us of how to live. Listen to the parables about how to serve and how to learn about him. Let's listen. But in this passage, there's at least two things we can glean about what should we be doing in the meantime between these two comings of Jesus. Here's the two things. Know him, serve him. First, know him. In verse 10, not everybody in the crowd knows who Jesus is, and they're asking, who is this? Why is the city in turmoil? Why are people going crazy? Why are they shouting? Why are they excited? They didn't know who he was. It's a good question to ask, who is Jesus? And if you've been paying attention, you realize it's also quite a pressing question. Who is he? In the meantime, we should be getting to know him. Now, the crowd responds to the questioners when they say, Who is this? And they say, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. That's a true statement. It's not the whole truth about who he is, but it's part of it. He is the prophet. Can we talk about prophets just for a second? You all still with me? Can we talk about prophets just for a second? Prophets would speak God's words to God's people. He would remind them about what God's law was, about how they were erring from that, and how they should come back. They taught people about God's word. Jesus didn't just teach people about God's word. He did. He's a prophet. He's teaching people about God's word. He's reminding them of it, calling them back to God. But he also, perfect, and the only one who perfectly lived God's law, the perfect human being who followed God's commands, who loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, with every breath of his life. The only person to do that. He didn't just teach God's word, he lived it perfectly. What else did prophets do? Prophets interceded, there's kind of a fancy word, for God's people. What does that mean? It means they prayed for them. It means they stood in the gap between God and the people of God. It's part of what the, what the role of a prophet. Jesus did that. He prayed for us. He stood in the gap between God and the people of God, but he didn't just stand in the gap. He bridged that gap. He made a way. He reconciled us to God through, yes, his perfect life and perfectly obeying God and living the way a human should, and none of us do but also by shedding his perfect spotless blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be restored to the Lord. He didn't just speak God's word, lived it perfectly. Didn't just intercede for God's people by praying for them, but by shedding his blood and bridging that gap. He didn't just tell people God's word, though, as a prophet did. He was and is the word of God in the flesh. Who is Jesus? It's a question the world has been asking ever since he left. It's why we divided time into B.C. and A.D. We've been asking that question ever since he came. Who is this man? And there's been a lot of right answers and there's been a lot of wrong answers from people who know God and people who don't know God. And the reality is we will get to know him more and more and more and more. He's infinite and we're not. And so we're constantly going to be learning about Jesus. So first of all, if, you're not, if, you're not able, if you've never submitted your life to the king and you don't know who Jesus is, please come talk to me. Any, any person you see on the stage here that's leading us in worship, you can always talk to them. You can, there's a bunch of other people, I'm sure, in this room that would be glad to talk to you about that. About how to follow Jesus, about how to give your life free. It's a free gift where you confess your sins, your mistakes, and you say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for forgiving me. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. And you're His. And you follow that King. Throw down the arms. Stop being a rebel. (laughs) A message we need to hear all the time, isn't it? No matter who you are. Throw down the arms believe today. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, "Today is the day of salvation." Today. Not then, now. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, it's most of us following Jesus, we continue learning. We continue digging into his word and what he's revealed about us. We continue giving ourselves to the community of believers in sharing our lives with others and caring about other people and all those things we learn, we learn, we grow as Peter says in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is. So one thing we can do on the way, in the in-between, is know the Lord. Here's something else. One more thing. Let's serve him. We see that in this passage. Do you know that Jesus doesn't need a thing from you? He can do any, anything and everything without you. And yet, he calls us, he gives us the opportunity to serve. And there's so many opportunities to do that in so many different areas and aspects of our lives. He calls these two disciples, doesn't give, them, give us our names, to go fetch this donkey and baby donkey, Right? Go get this for me. And they go. And they do it. And it might not have seemed like a very big deal. But when we do things with God's fingerprints on it, it is a big deal. (laughs) And it makes a much bigger impact than we could possibly do on our own. I thought about Peter earlier when Jesus is given a message by the Sea of Galilee. And there's a big crowd around them. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat so I can just go out a little bit into the shore and speak to this large crowd of people? And Peter says, sure. Probably didn't seem like a big request, but that boat was used in a better way than it ever was used before that day because Jesus simply said, yeah, you can use my boat. How about the little boy in the feeding of the 5,000? When someone approaches them, one of the disciples and say, hey, I see you have a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and there's really no food here. Do you mind if we borrow that? And the little boy said, sure. That's kind of amazing in itself, isn't it? <laughs> sure, you can have it. And God took that little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and did a whole lot with it. He can do so much more with our time, with our resources, with our efforts, with our service than we know. We can serve him in the in-between. And as we continue to walk through this gospel, let's continue to learn how we can live in the meantime. Okay. If in the first coming... Jesus came in truly triumphal entry to wipe out all of his enemies, we'd be in a lot of trouble. He came in the first coming as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in his second coming, he's coming, yes, as the Lamb, but also as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He will fully bring the kingdom of God on earth. That truly triumphal entry is still to come. The King is coming. So let me close with another embarrassing song, the same one I started with. (laughs) The King is coming. The King is coming. Everybody now. Praise God. He is coming for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, what electric hope we have that you are the true king. You are the king that is humble, yet you have all power, that is gentle with us, yet we deserve your wrath. And you came the first time to set us free from bondage. To forgive us. You stooped a lot lower than just riding in on a donkey, on a baby donkey into Jerusalem. You'd go a lot lower than that as you were lifted high. To die on that cross for our sins. And God, we know that's not the end of the story. You are the lamb and you are the lion. Lord, may we submit, may we throw down our arms, our weapons, in rebellion against you. Knowing that you are the king and wanting to submit our lives to you and accept that free gift of forgiveness and join your kingdom. Knowing full well that before we know it, you're coming back and you're setting up the kingdom that we all have been waiting, yearning, longing for, Lord. Lord. And we get to be part of it. Lord, would you teach us in this in-between that seems so long but is so very short in comparison to what's coming of how to trust you, of how to look to you, of how to know you more and how to serve. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, God's people said.